Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Perlin, your Monday host for Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, and uh, glad that you're with us this morning, listeners. We can't do radio without you. My producer through the glass here at WDEV is Greg Titus, and he keeps the trains running. I'm very grateful for Greg, uh, grateful for all the uh, staff here at WDEV. They've been great mentors, and uh, uh, coming up later today, Bill Sayre with uh, Common Sense Radio, and then Charlie Papillo, my good friend, with Travels with Charlie, all part of the fabric of radio. Lee Cattell gets up at oh dark 30 somehow and uh, makes it to the station and, and just uh, does an incredible job of keeping so many hats going at once. It's just remarkable. Uh, my next guest uh, is John Turner. Uh, we'll be talking about um, s- sort of John's journey in life and Vets Town Hall, and I want to welcome you to the show, John. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you, and I want to first and foremost start by saying thank you for your service uh, to the to the country and everything you did uh, uh, for that. Uh, we're all grateful for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, um, John, we haven't met except, uh, through the electronic world. So I'm excited to, to talk with you about the Vets Town Hall. But if you're willing, want to talk a little bit first, sort of about your journey and, uh, and where, how it got you to Vermont and, and that. I know that you were, uh, U.S. Marines and you were deployed, uh, three times. Uh, can you give us a little background on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, right out of high school after graduation in 2003, I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps and uh, went off to boot camp, infantry training, and then uh, deployed to Haiti uh, shortly after uh, graduating all my basic training and infantry training, um, and then returned uh, after a short deployment, and then uh, deployed to Iraq twice to Fallujah and Ramadi in 2005 and 2006. And uh, Haiti one doesn't think um, necessarily why Marines are in Haiti. Is there is is that a strategic location, or was there were there problems there? Or there was um, there was a lot of uh, uprising and violence. Um, still is uh, Haiti is is really not a safe space. But at the time, um, from my understanding, there was a coup to under to overthrow uh, the president Aristide, and he was one of two presidents that had not been uh, either assassinated or ousted. Um, and, that, and, and I haven't been able to research that the history of the country at, that much, but um, that's my understanding of it. And so with the uprising and violence, we were, uh, my unit was a quick reaction force, and we got called to go there to kind of help uh, maintain some level of peace. Um, and we're there for four months until the U.N. took over. And so do you, we don't have a base necessarily in Haiti, but you establish a position there. Is that what happened? Yes, sir. Uh, we were, we were operating out of the airport and then, uh, we were actually in, 
in the actual port of Port-au-Prince where all the Connex and shipping containers were coming in right next to City Soleil, um, which is, is known to be right now one of the um, more violent areas of the country um, in the Port-au-Prince area. Um, and then uh, we operated a little bit out of the cigarette factory near the airport. Uh, they produced Comilfo uh, cigarettes. And then we traveled a little bit to Jacmel, Nakai, and just ran a couple operations out of there for a month or two. So uh, you got your feet wet quickly, it sounds like, as a, as a young yes. man. Uh, now, you're, you're from Connecticut originally, I believe. Is that right? Yes, sir. I grew up uh, near the university, so a lot of um, a lot of the landscape actually kind of looks similar to parts of Vermont. Uh, a lot of cornfields and tobacco fields, a lot of cows and horses, um, and it was it was a nice little place to grow up in. Um, very rural, and spent a lot of time out in the woods. And um, yeah, that, that's that's really how I grew up, though. Yeah, and what about role models? I mean, obviously, there are a lot of career paths that people can take. Uh, how were you influenced uh, to become uh, a proud Marine? So I didn't know this at the time, um, but I've had a family member in every major conflict going back to the Revolutionary War. And uh, as, a, as a young boy growing up, I knew that I had a handful of members who were in the military. Um, that's how my mother and my father met. Uh, my dad uh, was stationed at Westover Air Force Base in Chicopee, Mass. And so I spent a lot of time um, as, as a boy, you know, going to the base and just kind of being influenced by men and women in uniform um, and uh, traveling around a lot because his dad was in the Air Force. And so my, my father, he grew up all around Europe and, um, you know, heard some of the stories. And it, it was just something that from a very, very young age, I, I knew that I wanted to be in the military and, um for a while, I thought that I was going to kind of go like the uh, the Army Ranger Special Forces route. I was reading books as I got a little bit older, and that, that really heavily influenced me. Um, but my brother, he uh, he graduated Marine Corps boot camp in 2001. And when I went down there for the graduation, I saw kind of everyone getting yelled at and the amount of discipline and uniformity. And that was something that, um, that really uh, inspired me to want to do something uh, of that nature, and um, I thought the Marine Corps, you know, still still do that. The, the boot camp was the most is the most difficult, um, and there's just something about it that was appealing. And so when I uh, graduated high school, shipped off, and uh, that was that. So you boot camp is sort of legendary movie stuff. We we see it, um, but you you went to boot camp. Uh, was that down in the south or? Yes, sir. That was in uh, Paris Island, South Carolina. Paris Island, which uh, I guess is is pretty famous. When you get to Paris Island, were there? Um, tell us about your experience there. Was it? Um, you you obviously learned a lot in a short amount of time. Yes. Um, in all honesty, I really enjoyed it. Um, the the discipline, the attention to detail, those were all things that was kind of driven into me when I was a kid. And I think that 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 came from having, you know, um, such a strong military influence in my childhood. Um, doing doing hard work was was not really an issue. Like the physical component wasn't wasn't bad for me. Um, I was in decent shape. You know, I wrestled when I was in high school, played sports most of my life, and was healthy. Um, so so the 
the physical training aspect of it was was fine. The most difficult time that I had there was the sleep deprivation and um, kind of the food deprivation. Um, but the the sleep is what got got me the most. And uh, but you learn to work through that. You know, it's for me. There's no there's no way I was quitting. Um, I was squad leader. You know, graduated squad leader of my platoon. Uh, one of the squad leaders. And um, you know, I just I really enjoyed every aspect of it. You know. Um, and it's something that uh, I still have a great, um, great re- uh, reverence toward now, as as it's been, you know, 20 years since I went to boot camp. It's remarkable the respect you show for that, and you know, I I think about the fact that you talk about sleep deprivation, but in reality, as a soldier, uh, it's not like you can sleep in till 9 a.m. on any given day, anyway, right? So you, your your training is real to the world. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's certainly going to de- depend on your job. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the brightest um, bulb in the box. But, you know, when I when I took the initial ASVAB test, which is really just to see kind of like how smart you are and where they can place you and what jobs you qualify for. You know, I was able to, to get other jobs that that would uh would be more technical, so to say. But for me, I just, I wanted to be a grunt. I wanted to be in the infantry. You know, I remember watching uh, the plane, the second plane hit the World Trade Center um, in English class in high school. And um, that was kind of like, that was that was another moment as, I'm, as, as it was for many young men and women uh, after 9-11 to enlist in the, in the military. Um, but for me, I just, I wanted to be a grunt because that seemed like the most difficult thing I could do. And so the sleep deprivation in boot camp and in infantry training has certainly led up to what I would experience later on, um, um, third deployment in, you know, in Ramadi in 2006, you know, our operation tempo was, was very, very high. Um, it was a very dangerous place and we were constantly on the move and, and having to navigate, uh, difficult circumstances. And, um, so there was a lot of sleep deprivation there. Um, and that's that, that's just the nature of the beast. That's that's the game, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Just you learn to live with it and drive forward and uh, maintain some level of self and composure throughout that process. Well, we certainly have a lot of respect for you and and for all of your colleagues in that because it's it's not for everybody, but it's uh, you certainly uh, your attitude and outlook and and probably the family influence were uh, were all part of your success on that. We're talking with John Turner. He's a retired U.S. Marine, uh, was in uh, three conflicts, and, and now is very involved with Vets Town Hall. I want to return to Paris Island for a minute, John, and tell you of one of my own phobias. I wouldn't like sleeping with rattlesnakes if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how, does, how do people out of... Uh, Northern Vermont or Connecticut or wherever deal deal with that. Was that an issue? Uh, not so much with rattlesnakes. The sand fleas were um, were a new discovery for me, and it it, it gets to a point though where um, you kind of just block it out. And I think that's the intention of uh, the basic training itself is for you to kind of um, move beyond you know the little annoyances in order to stay focused and disciplined and, and to continue forward. Um, the rattlesnakes were, were, were not really, uh, prevalent. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they are in that area or not, 
Um, but it was it was mostly the sand fleas and the mosquitoes that 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 got the best of us. And so you really acquire a self discipline about that, is what I'm hearing, and and sort of focus on the things you need to, and uh, at the sacrifice of whatever is biting you, I guess. Ideally, um, and, and I think that's the intention behind boot camp. Um, you know, is is to really to, to get out of you know uh, your comfort level and to to embrace um, those moments of discomfort because um, that's that's really when you're going to find out who you who you actually are. You know, when you can kind of take away all the the creature comforts and the conveniences that we have in our lives and do something difficult. Um, that's, that's going to kind of really test your character and, um, humble you really quickly. You know, humility is, is a wonderful thing and it's a powerful tool. And sometimes it's something as little as, uh, Samsley and, uh, many of them that can, that can make you kind of dig deep and, and find some discipline. So I would guess. And what about the bonding? You, you're really mixed in with a lot of people that you've obviously never met from, from all over, but, you know, there's something about um, brotherhood, I guess, uh, in in the military. Was that was that an important part of your mental and physical success as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because for me, you know, when I when I went to boot camp, I was 18 years old, um, and I had really only just turned 18. And um, so, so to be away from my family um, was it, it was it was. It was a new experience. It wasn't necessarily a challenge. Um, you know, my my parents split when I was young, and I was back and forth a lot, and um, and so I kind of, to some degree, got used to to being independent at a at a young age. Um, but I think that when when you share uh, difficult circumstances with other people, that certainly creates a bonding moment. And that was uh, very true throughout the rest of my Marine Corps career on deployments, but then still holds true today. You know, some of some of my best friends are are people that I've done you know strenuous things with, um, or been through some sort of trauma with. And 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 I know we're going to get to this, but Sebastian talks greatly about this: is that there is a brotherhood that is formed, or sisterhood um, that is formed when people who endure difficulty are there with each other and it, it doesn't mean that that people um won't kind of push other folks away uh that might be in the group just because they react differently you know we all experience moments um that are unique we all experience similar moments in a unique way to us and not everyone is going to see the same thing the same and not everyone is going to experience it the same and i think that that's something that we 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 tend to forget as a species, you know, because so much of our day-to-day is living vicariously through others, through all the socials, that we kind of lose our sense of self. And um, But there, there is a moment in trauma and in difficulty and in enduring uh, hardship that I truly believe bonds us together for life, for better or worse. Um, but it's really up to the individual and their perspective as to how they're going to react to those moments. And for me personally... Um, I, I, I greatly appreciated, you know, having the individual challenges, um, but then also having the collective challenge and, and building a, a brotherhood or sense of camaraderie uh, with those individuals. You talked about the 
grunt role, so to speak, that you welcomed, and it, it, it was the fabric of sort of the building of your Marine career. But the way you're talking now is leadership uh, speech. You're you're inspiring people by, you know, what you've just said. And uh, do you feel that transition that you you sort of evolved and grew, um, whether you were seeking it or not? Um, I mean, I know that's what happened, you know, and I think that that comes from from growing older and and living through more experiences. You know, I don't I don't do things because I want attention from other folks. I do things because I believe in them. You know, for me, um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a very difficult time with that transition. And um, there was a number of times where I was very close to checking out, but there was still something in the back of my mind that was just like, it's not right now. You know, it's it's not now. And that, for whatever reason, like, um, spoke volumes to my heart and to my mind. And I realized that, you know, regardless as to what happened during my time in service, you know, I'm here for a reason, whether it's God or the universe or whatever deity or entity you want to believe in, um, what I know is I'm here. And so it's my choice as to whether or not I want to live a healthy and fruitful life or if I want to identify with a narrative of the past and be something that I I was then, but doesn't necessarily define who I actually am. And so um, I didn't I didn't want to become a statistic, you know, um, and that's that's why I do this work. That's why I work with veteran organizations because I've had too many too many people in my lives um, in my life just just check out. And uh, there's uh, another organization that I've been working with, um, teaching survival stuff for uh, with this uh, veterans and first responders down in the Hudson Valley. It's called Guardian Revival. And uh, September is Suicide Awareness Month, and um, they they hosted their second annual one mile challenge where it it, it forces people to um, reflect on suicide awareness and uh, it challenges them to walk one mile each day for the month of September, which doesn't really seem like a lot, but you can make it that as easy or difficult as you want it to be. Um, and for me, it was it was a grind because each day I went out to to do my mile plus. Um, I had to dedicate a day to another man in my unit that ended his own life. And by the end of it, um, 25 people from my, uh, uh, 25 of those days were dedicated to men in my unit who had killed themselves since 2005. And, um, and that's just a really bad fact and it shouldn't be the case. And so I don't do these things. I don't, I don't talk about leadership and all that stuff because, um, you know, because because I'm looking for attention on Instagram, it's, it's like I, I talk about these things because it's important. It's very personal to me. I don't I don't want veterans to become a statistic. I don't want families to fall apart. And the reality of that is, it's up to the individual to take the initiative to um, improve the quality of their lives and move beyond the narrative of the past. I can't do that for them. No one can do that for them but themselves. And so, if someone wants to identify um, as as a as a as a quote unquote broken veteran, that's that's really up to them. But it's my job. What I feel my job and my purpose is is to provide opportunities 
with other organizations and other remarkable people doing incredible things to help these veterans and their families move beyond that narrative so they can reach their potential and not become a victim to to war and to trauma and all those things that that weigh heavy on the soul. Well, you walk the walk and um, there's people often, John, I, I'm sure you, you because you're saying this, they feel alone and, and you are offering them uh, a way to, you know, not take an easy journey, but a transition um, that that does involve hope. And uh, you mentioned nature and, and all of that. And it's it certainly in my life, uh, I wasn't in the military, but had some some uh, traumatic um, things happen in my life. And I have realized that you can move you can move forward and uh, absolutely it's it's a great thing we're talking with john turner he is a uh, retired u.s marine and uh, also a promoter of vetstown hall which we're going to be talking about want to return back uh john you were deployed to haiti and then you come stateside uh before you were deployed to Iraq. What what happens in that period of time when you're back stateside? You're an active Marine, and are you on a base, and what happens? Yeah, so um, typically when, you know, with uh, with the height of the GWAT or the Global War on Terror, um, and I can speak specific to the Marine Corps at the time, not any of the other branches, we would do a workup, which was essentially a very large training package that we were in the field for X amount of days and weeks um, going over specific uh, tactics and trainings and procedures and such. And then um, we deploy, do our thing, come home, and then there'd be some kind of a debrief. Um, well, there should have been some kind of a debrief. And then we would have leave where we get to go and do our own thing and go be with family for a short period of time. And then we come back and then we do another workout package. And so um, when when we went to Haiti, uh, I had mentioned we were on a quick reaction force. So what that essentially means is if something happens uh, anywhere in the world, uh, my unit uh, would get, if they got called up, they'd have to be ready to deploy um within a very short period of time and boots on the ground in the country that needs help within 72 hours. And that's what happened to us. And so um, when we got back from Haiti, uh, we were only there for four months. We, we immediately went into another workup uh, heading to Iraq uh, into Fallujah in 2005. Um, and Fallujah is most known for the, the, the second, uh, second battle of the uh, Operation Phantom Fury, which happened in November of 2004. And um, that actually would have been my unit that was in that battle, but we got called up on the QRF uh, literally a day before we were supposed to get off of it. And so our sister unit uh, took our spot, and, and then we ended up replacing them. Um, but it's it's a lot of you know in between in between deployments. It's it's a lot of hard work, training, PT, just kind of preparing for for the next pump. Yeah, amazing. Uh... We have a caller uh, on the line, uh, Larry from Witherby, New York. I welcome you to the show. Are you with us, Larry? Yes, I am. I'm yep, sorry. There you can are. Can you hear me? Yeah, Hi. Ken. Welcome. Perfect. And I'm seeing in the notes on my prompter that you served in Vietnam. Is Yes, sir. 
Uh, first, I wanted to say to your, your guest there, Semper Fi, I was a Marine in Vietnam. Uh, I was in Vietnam in 1967, the 3rd Marine Division in I Corps, combat situation. And uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm really glad I've been listening to the program, and I'm really glad to see that um, people like yourself are helping and organizing uh Organizing things to to work with veterans, especially after they've come from combat deployments, because when I came back from Vietnam, um, you know, we had nothing. There was absolutely yeah. nothing for us to, uh, to to go to, to reach out to. Uh, for an example, uh, when my rotation date finally came up and I was in Vietnam, um, I literally came out of a combat zone, a, sh a, a live fire zone on a helicopter, and within 48 hours from there, after going down to Da Nang, I found myself in Los Angeles airport, and I'm like totally lost. Just what am I doing here? And, and I'm reaching on my hip, looking for my weapon. Um, you know, we just went from... A shooting situation, 48 hours, dumped in an airport to go home on leave. And um, it was not a good situation, and there was no debriefing. There was nothing. So what you're doing today is a really, really good thing um, because I saw a lot of my own comrades struggle, and I struggled for a lot of years, a lot of years uh, with all this. So I, I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, welcome home, Larry. Um, I'm really sorry that you had to experience that. I, that's such a common story that I've heard from Vietnam veterans. Um, the fact that you all had nothing, and you know, I know a number of the Vietnam vets that that were spit on and uh, treated with disrespect, and um, that's that's something that's always bothered me. And what I do want to say about the Vietnam vets is, when we started coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan early on in the GWAT, they really stepped up and um, right. helped us, um, and, th and that's something that I am incredibly grateful for. Um, I know a number of Vietnam vets who have, have helped friends of mine and myself kind of navigate the systems and, and really um, not fall into the same spaces and depressions that you guys might have after being uh, such, so mistreated when you returned home. So I'm yes. sorry you had to experience that, but I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're well and, and driving forward. Um, welcome home, Larry. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and 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 you are correct. Um, I, I've gone to uh, group meetings, and and I I felt deep inside me, along with other Vietnam vets, uh, very deeply that we're trying to to get across to veterans of your era that you know what you you don't don't go this way and don't go that way, and you know we try to direct them to not get into the, the big pitfalls that we yeah. fell into. Because there was there was no ladder, we just fell in and there was no ladder to get out. And um, so yeah, we try we have tried to help mentor your generation to not get in as much trouble and problems as we did. So again, I want to thank you and I appreciate the time for for uh, letting me call in. Larry, we appreciate uh, you calling in and we are grateful for your service and uh, we're glad you were joining us today so thank you very much for that thank you and your show is great so thank you for your show too well thank you 
want to mention about 10 years ago in a uh, Maple Festival parade in St. Albans, Vermont, the the parade was going down the street and politicians were walking by and there was, you know, small uh, applause from the crowd and, you know, various things going by. And then six or seven Vietnam vets uh, all in a line with a banner acknowledging who they were, uh, fairly aged, obviously. And there was this first small applause and a building applause. And then one of the most emotional things that, that I've seen, the, the crowd just really went hard at it. And it was, it was a beautiful thing, long, 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 long overdue. But it was yeah. nice uh, for these vets to get some of that recognition that they they so much deserve. And I'm sure you've seen that as well, John. Yes, sir. Uh, so, John, yeah. you you went to Iraq. You, you were seriously injured in Iraq. And obviously everything about that uh, changed your life. And, you know, to the extent that you want to talk about that a little. But the transition back uh, and then what you're doing now is – you know, let's, let's see what we can do here. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my injury in Iraq, um, you know, the, the bigger one was, was not nearly, uh, as, as bad as some of my buddies who lost limbs and, um, and worse. Uh, you know, I took a piece of shrapnel in the neck that had just like by a hair missed my carotid artery. And so it was very, it was very lucky. Um, and, and then I had sustained some other injuries over there um, relative to, uh, to gunfights and, and rockets landing. But, um, you know, my, it, yes, I got a purple heart out of it, but I really could, could give two dams about that um, because I know the, know people who, who had much worse. And, um, I'm, you know, some of them are still around and some of them aren't, unfortunately. But um, the transition home is, difficult and Larry touched on that for sure uh, you know because for us we were we were in country one day um, doing our our left seat right seat with the unit that was replacing us you know rolling through the city and then two three days later we're home surrounded by people and family members and banners and signs and wives and husbands and kids and, and all those folks and it's um, that's a culture shock for sure you know to go to a place where you are greatly hated um, to go to a place where you're greatly loved. It's this, this, uh, juxtaposition there that's very difficult to explain. Um, but I was fortunate enough that when I got out, um, uh, of the Marine Corps in 2007, I came up here to Vermont to visit a high school buddy and, uh, was introduced to a couple other veterans who were in the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And we just, we spent a lot of time just being with each other and talking and working through things. And it wasn't anyone that I had served with, but it was, and we all had different experiences, but there was a, there's a similarity between all of us and we were able to find that. And that was really unique and it was very empowering. And um, so from the very beginning, since I got out of the Marine Corps and came up to Vermont have been uh, working with various veteran organizations um, as uh, both kind of like a participant and a leader. And uh, regardless, of whatever role I'm playing. It's just, you're there for the individual to the left and the right, just as I was when we were overseas. It doesn't matter if you believed in the war or if you didn't, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. Uh, what matters is that you're able to find a humanness in the other being, uh, the, the person that's 
beside you or in front of you or behind you, and, and you're able to find common ground to move forward to support the other um, in whatever way that and, 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 and form that would take. And I think that uh, that's a great segue into the Vest Town Hall because storytelling has been a part of warrior culture since there were warriors. And it goes back to cave paintings and, and, you know, to the Plains Indians and the traditions, you know, between the warriors and the elders. And, you know, to this day, it's been something that's lacking within our, our current culture and our current uh, generation of veterans. Um, and, and I think that what Sebastian and Kristen have done is, is quite profound, you know, um, if you talk to folks, and we touched on this earlier, but if you talk to folks that have experienced trauma or difficulty with someone else, regardless as to whether it's related to war or not, there is uh, there is a moment of bonding that occurs. And even if one person's trauma is different than the others, um, there's 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 a similarity there that kind of brings you together. And I think that the Vest Town Hall does a phenomenal job of doing that. Um, it's been going on since 2015. It was an initiative that was started by Sebastian Younger, who's, who's known for his books, Tribe and War in a Perfect Storm, and his uh, documentaries, uh, Corrigan and Restrepo. But um, it was between him and uh, Massachusetts Representative Seth Moulton to uh, essentially create a space where veterans can just come and talk, uh, share a part of their story, of their experience, and so the community just have a better understanding of it. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the last 16, 17 years working with veteran organizations and, and uh, communities around the country is that there is this great divide between the two demographics of people. And that's really unfortunate because I think that with that division, there creates a fear, there creates a stigma, there creates this misunderstanding. Um, even even with people who have seen combat and haven't, there's, there's, a, there's a wall between them. And when you have the opportunity to find common ground and to sit and to listen to the other's experience and to do so without judgment, that's really when you can build a community. And that, I believe, is what Sebastian and Seth's original intention was. Um, and so Kristen Eaton, she, she does all the logistics. She's really uh, the workhorse of the organization. Um, she was at the, the first town hall, and shortly thereafter, um, I, I honestly don't know how she – she got in, uh, in touch with me or why she thought of me, but um, she said, hey, I just I just went to this. Would you like to talk? And I said, absolutely, because for me, it's important to, to continue to build those communities. And um, her idea was to bring this, you know, after speaking with Sebastian, to bring the Vets Town Hall to Vermont. And since then, uh, we've done that several times over. And it started as, as one gathering uh, in Burlington back in, I think, 2016. We did the first one here. And then right now we have uh, town halls that are happening in California and Florida and Illinois and Washington and Massachusetts um, and, and all over Vermont and Connecticut. And it's and it's really um, it's really an incredible thing because people are finding value in storytelling once more um, and, and to do so with the warriors, with uh, with that culture. And I think it's very, very important that we do that. Um, and this last year, uh, in 2022, we actually uh, hosted the very first family members town hall. Um, personally, I feel that the family members take on the brunt of our trauma um, and if we're deployed or after we return home, because for us, we're just doing our jobs. 
And for the families, for the spouses and the kids, they're doing their jobs and then they're also worrying about us while we're doing ours. And it's this it's this compounding factor that um, unfortunately leads to a lot of unhealthy relations and divorces and separations. And I've seen that time and time and time and time again. And so if we can continue to to tell our stories and, and providing opportunity for family members to tell theirs, then we can find even more common ground and push forward and, and, and strengthen our community in a healthy way rather than being distracted and, and um, you know, kept apart from who I think we truly are as, as human beings. You know, we're getting all the nonsense out of the way and, and finding the, the common ground between all of us. Well, we certainly look for the the soul gift that everyone has, and when it gets lost, we want to find it again, and sounds like this is part of that. Um, so there's a number of these uh, events coming up that have been organized. How do people uh, join in and find out about them? Yeah, so um, the Veterans Town Hall website is vetstownhall.org, and um, on there, you'll find a little bit of history about it, uh, a little bit about Sebastian and Kristen, and then um, you'll see a tab that says attend. And if you click the attend tab, it'll you can scroll down and find all of the upcoming events that are happening. Um, there's one this Wednesday in Taunton, Mass., and then starting the first week of November, we have them in Rutland, Washington, Vermont, uh, Connecticut, Florida, and Ohio and Massachusetts and uh, Arizona. So there's there's a number of places around the country right now, and we're beginning to partner with other organizations. Uh, GORUCK is one of them, uh, Vermont Law School, the National Veterans Memorial Museum, uh, and then uh, Guardian Revival and another summit. So there's, there's a lot of really incredible things happening. Um, we're starting to branch out, which is great. It is a nonprofit organization, um, and, uh, you know, we're always looking to, to build – build up um, a little bit of funders that will allow us to continue to support these these events. Um, it's not free uh, for us, you know, so um, it's free to attend. It's free to be a part of. But, you know, there's there's definitely um, time and money and effort that is involved in allowing these things to happen. And so we are a nonprofit. And if you are able to make a donation, um, it would be super helpful to the organization. Um, but uh, we encourage folks, whether you're a veteran or not, um, whether you served in combat or in a, in a time of peace, like to come hang out at the event, it's really remarkable because we have our selected speakers that have pre-registered, and then we always open it up to veterans that are in attendance that might be inspired to to get up and share a story. And you know, more often than not, than not, um, the majority of our speakers at the events are from people in attendance. And, uh, and I've been, you know, it's been very emotional in a, in a wonderful way, just, just watching some of the Vietnam vets get up and, and talk about their story for the first time in 40 years, or, or people who were in the Gulf War or in, you know, Kosovo or in Somalia and, and all the other like smaller conflicts that were, that are a part of our, 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 the fabric of our country's military, but are not often discussed. Um, so it's, it's really an incredible thing. And I, I certainly encourage, um, anyone, whether you're a veteran or not, to, to attend the event and just be a part of it, be a part of the story um, and do what you can to support it. 
Well, it's it's amazing, uh, John. I want to do a quick shout out to my cousin Ray Gervin, who was a proud Marine. Uh, certainly to Kristen Eaton for everything she's done to uh, help veterans' lives here in Vermont. Quite amazing, and Sebastian, and and you, John. I know you don't. I'm hearing you don't seek recognition, but you you're absolutely remarkable, and the fact that you are um, openly sharing. Uh, you're, you're really helping save a lot of people's lives and we appreciate you being on. And I wanted to get you back because we didn't even talk about the Wild Roots Farm. So if you come yeah. back and join me, that'll be great. I'd love to do that, Brad. And I really certainly appreciate you having us on today to talk about Best Town Hall. It's our pleasure. Thanks for being with us. I'm Brad Furlan. This is Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. I'll see you next week.